Listen up or run for cover. Dropping knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. The, the real Bradley Bombs is dropping. Bradley back again with another episode of Dropping Bombs. And as you are aware, I have a real treat for you. Today, folks, in the studio, I brought a real life expert in a couple of things. Number one, wine and cigars. More so cigars or wine? More so cigars. More so cigars. Plus, he's got an entrepreneurial story, right? He's a successful business owner or multiple business owners. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, knows the trials and tribulations, the limitations that people place on themselves. So it should be for an interesting discussion. Welcome, folks. Pierre Rogers. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Number one, I got good cigars, real cigars. (laughs) Okay. Oh, Pierre, like, authenticate cigars for companies. So, like, like, if you ever watch Pawn Stars and they have a coin or something come in, they call in an expert and... That's basically what you do too, right? Yeah, we've done that for wealthy collectors to um, three Michelin star restaurants who have an amazing cigar collection that they offer on their menu. Uh, and everywhere in between, we have people that will reach out to us on Instagram or shoot us an email or even just grab me in person. And I will help either source their cigars or more specifically, authenticate their cigars. So if you guys are listening, you guys are cigar smokers, you definitely want to check him out. Puro Traders, the company. Where's that? PuroTrader.com? That is. Your Instagram's at Puro Rogers. That's me personally, yes. Or you can just go to at Puro Trader to go to our uh, it, company page. Is it Puro? Why Puro? So Puros is the original word for cigar. That's the OG word. So it's kind of a homage oh. to what cigars used to be called. Puros. Man, I keep learning. Anyway, folks, he, so he came in and I thought I was being cool because I found me a source <laughs> of some authentic beautiful cubanos and so i'm like well hey buddy let's let's uh grab a stick go ahead and he looks at them and they're all right but you know there's some there's some issues so we get the we call my wife get the serial numbers off the box and apparently there's a website where every real box of cubans are technically released and controlled and tracked by the government. That's correct. So all Cuban cigars are made by the Cuban government. Period. Period. Full stop. So if you got a Cohiba, yeah, the factory made it, but the government controls the factory. So it was made for the government, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's what you have when you have economist government, right? So every drop of coffee, every drop of rum, and every cigar is made by the Cuban government, sold by the Cuban government. So they control prices, they control quality, they control everything. Which is cool, though, because I said, well, shit, I got the boxes. So I type in the old numbers, and they were coming up not what they were. They were coming up, you know, certain cigars. So they were real serial numbers. Right. But they were not on the right box, which tells you what? tells me that someone went to the trouble of either stealing a stack of real serial numbers, which is possible, um, or just ripping off. You know, they went to a retail store, they bought some boxes with real serial numbers, and then they went and go and replicated those on a printer. 
Yeah. Right. And so you see that a lot where you it looks like a box of Cohiba. It says Cohiba on it. You throw the serial number in there and it says Romeo and Julieta. And you're like, oh, that's a that's a pretty big red flag that those those aren't real. Because if they were real, it would say, hey, these are on the box of Cohibas. This is the number for a box of Cohibas. Every single box is freaking serial numbered individually like money. Yes. With one small exception in that it's only boxes of 25 and boxes of 10. So sometimes people buy three packs and five packs. They don't oftentimes have serial numbers on them. But boxes of cigars, yes. All modern cigars have those serial numbers. Now, older vintage stuff, they didn't have to do serial numbers back then. So those don't have that. But now if someone's listening to this and they're a cigar smoker, Mm -hmm. they can take the serial number, go to that website, type it in. And check because there's some damn good fakes out there. There's some unbelievable fakes Appar- out there. Apparently, I've got some. <laughs> I was the Grim Reaper of your cigar collection today. Yeah, because because dude, I made a significant purchase. Well, not significant, but like who spends five grand on cigars? That's a lot of money. I just got five grand to spend on cigars so I could impress the people coming over and any aficionados be like, damn, dude, that's yeah. fantastic. But I thought I tapped into a real humdinger. <laughs> but in all reality, dude, you just saved me twenty one fifty because I was about to FedEx out another check for another batch. But nope, not going to do it. Now I'm going to go to PuroTrader, PuroTrader.com. And I appreciate that. Now, now when, if someone goes to that website, what do they see? So what they're going to see on there is non-Cubans. Unfortunately, we can't sell Cuban cigars. Um, but they're going to see rare, vintage, hard-to-find cigars from all over the world, usually the United States, right? And you're going to find everything on there from Opus, Davidoff, Padron, Drew Estate, Foundation, Tatuai, just about everything. But really, we specialize in the stuff you can't find everywhere else. Nice. And then your other company called... Ya Win. Ya Yin, that's ya right. Yin. Yes, sir. And that's spelled Y A H Y N. Yeah, so so I'm a big fan of tradition and heritage. So Ya Yin is the ancient Hebrew slash Greek word for wine. Actually, it's believed to be the very first word for wine as we know it today. And so what we did here is we wanted to embrace the history of wine, right? Wine's been around for literally thousands of years, and we're adding a level of technology and sophistication to the wine market. And frankly, we've never seen before so we're really changing how wine is distributed and how you actually buy it as a consumer Mm, i want you to authenticate my came a special select oh boy well you'd think that's fake it's a huge market so it you know for all of you out there go to netflix check out sour grapes it's an unbelievable documentary about counterfeit wines do they just buy shiners you ever heard of shiners yeah i've heard of shiners before my buddy's a vintner Okay. He told me, like, you know, he'll bottle up everything he's going to bottle up. Then he'll have a bunch that didn't sell. So he takes the label off and sells them as shiners, like just, you know, let's say cheap. Yep. And they're shiners. And then people can just stick their own label on it. The white label are sometimes called crush pad wines. Very, very common, right? There's some big, big companies in there who I don't feel comfortable naming on the air that they built a whole business on creating fake boutique wines that are nothing more than crush pad or shiner wines. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So folks, we got a real expert. You want to know about cigars? You better listen up. You want to know about wine? Better listen up. Want to know about how, how to build a business? Right? Even in the face of adversity, I would say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the face of adversity, because earlier we were talking and, uh, it came up that 
a lot of people are limited because they came from shitty backgrounds and or they literally believe that, it, that, that it's not possible for them simply because of their upbringing and or condition, situation, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you got real sparked up about that. Why is that? Yeah, because I am that guy, right? So, so I am the person who, for all intents and purposes, should be earning minimum wage uh, right now. Yeah, but why know? do you say that? Because, okay, I grew up in a small lumber mill town. Okay, hold on, I'm going to compare because so did I. Okay. So I grew up in a small lumber mill town in northern New Hampshire where you, not only, and I feel very passionate about this, I think it's harder to be poor in a rural area than it is to be poor in a city. And here's why. Because when you're in a city and you're poor, right, your crappy apartment and, and, and struggling, you see the guy that drives by in the BMW, you see the big shiny buildings, you see something, a way Potential. out. Potential. There's something else. But when you grow up in the middle of freaking nowhere, and everybody around you is poor, how do you get out? There's no path. There's no guy you can go talk to, right? Everyone is miserable. Everybody's poor. Everybody's in the same situation. You just think that's how life is, especially as a kid, right? Um, This is pre-internet when this was all happening to me. So I look around and went, man, this this sucks. Like life can't be this hard. This can't be what life is. This is miserable, right? So grew up, uh, single parent home, alcoholic mom, uh, terrible at school, was dyslexic but not diagnosed. So just really, really struggled with school. Very turbulent home life. Moved out when I was 16 years old uh, into a little little cabin that didn't have electricity um, because I had no real other choice, right? And so barely graduated high school. I mean, I don't know. I think they just pushed me through my senior year. I must have skipped two thirds of my senior year. I kid you not. I think teacher just sort of felt bad for me and uh, bumbled my way into college. And somewhere in there, I just had this fire in my belly that I was like, you know what, man, I'm just going to keep fighting and I might be the dumbest guy in the room and that's okay. I'm just going to keep swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging. And at some point, I'm either going to die trying and have some amazing stories about my failures or I'm going to, I'm going to get there. And, And that's really what I just committed to was you can't give me enough failures. I will just keep going far beyond what is reasonable far beyond what's reasonable and and in that i have found more success than anything and in this age of so many people trying to sell you success right um you've got these fake business gurus that are constantly trying to sell you success i get so amped up about those because when i was 18 19 20 21 so freaking hungry and desperate living in a crappy apartment i would have bought every one of those stupid courses i would have fallen for it number one failure right here i would have bought it all and i would have gone down you know just broke as a joke and what i've learned through this journey is it doesn't matter where you come from and those disadvantages are the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire freaking life man they really are because you i can i can take a failure a failure has happened to me many many times and it doesn't bother me. I can sleep like a baby at night because I know the next morning I'm going to get up and rip your throat out. Like it's just, it, it just, it builds a strength in you and a resolve in you um, that's different, right? So I, I think that those disadvantages aren't disadvantages. I think they're phenomenal weapons. And, and I always like to say life happens for you, not to you. And the moment you sort of realize that, the game changes. So what what was it when you realized it? How'd you realize it? 
I realized it right around, okay, so I'm uh, early 20s. I had just gotten out of school. I moved to Boston and I didn't have a fancy degree. I had no money. Um, I got crappy temp jobs in a crappy apartment and I knew I wanted to be in finance. But you were poor in the city at this point. Yep, poor in the city. Uh, Working temp jobs, right? Had a temp agency. We're talking, you know, filing paperwork and, and, you know, that kind of stuff, like entry, entry level job, right? Tiny, crappy apartment. When I say poor, let's define poor. I had enough money to feed myself two times a day, not three times a day. And my dinner, not kidding, was this place called Primo's Pizza in Beacon Hill. So anybody familiar with Boston will know this spot. You can get, at least back then, you could get two slices of pizza and a Coke for $5.50. And their slices were about a quarter of a pie, right? So you're talking, that's a whole dinner. That's a half a pizza and a Coke. Now, it's garbage food, terrible for you. I would eat there, I kid you not, five, six times a week because it's all I could afford. Eventually, got an entry-level job answering the phones. I, I went to every interview and hustled every financial firm I possibly could. You name one, I interviewed, I put in an application, and I chased those down, and I thought I could just impress them with how hard I came at them. And eventually, it worked. Eventually, I got this entry-level job, and I'm making no money. I'm making, I'll give you the number, I was making $28,500 a year. And that is, uh, that's below the poverty line in the city of Boston. That's not enough to, to live, right? So I became a bartender at a cigar bar. And that's where I learned all about cigars. And I was making more money selling Cubans under the table at this cigar bar. Real at ones. Night. Real ones, yeah. Um, than I was in my finance job. So I was working from Monday to Friday, it's kind of a typical nine to five job. And then four days a week, I'd run, quite literally run from my job, my day job to this cigar bar, open that thing up at about 6 p.m. And I'd be there from 6 to 1 a.m., go to sleep, wake up, do it all again. So it was, it was freaking brutal, but I made enough money. Um, I was actually doing pretty well. And all my friends are bartenders and they're working at casinos and doing all this stuff, making way more money than I am. And they'd always give me a hard time, man. They'd be like, man, why are you sticking with that stupid finance job? They, only, they don't even pay you 30 grand a year. That's ridiculous. And I would say, you know, I'm, I'm building a career. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move up the ladder. I got passed over for promotion. I can't tell you how many times. Over and over and over. Due to all kinds of reasons. But I didn't, my point is I didn't quit. I kept grinding. And what I realized was to my bosses out there, I had to remove every reason in their head that I wasn't the most perfect person for that job. And the only thing I can control, I couldn't control the crappy clothes I was wearing, right? Cause I was broke. I couldn't control how much you liked me. I couldn't control necessarily how affable I was or how funny I was. But what I could do is I could grind out anybody. I could show up earlier, stay later, stay on the weekends, whatever it had to do to the point where the upper management went, man, this, we just got to promote this guy. He, it, he's just going to outwork every human that is here. And sure as anything, I did. Uh, and I ultimately became the youngest senior vice president at a company at the time that was called Columbia Management, which was the asset management arm of Bank of America, a trillion dollar asset management firm. So by the age of right around 26, I think it was just shy of 26, uh, I got promoted um, and was Franklin making a, making a huge income, right? I bought million dollar home by the age of 27. I bought my first Ferrari by the age of 27. Um, and I thought I really had made it right. And I had worked, worked myself to the bone to get to this point. And it was based purely on just not quitting and grinding it out. 
Well, here's the fun part. I get there. I do pretty good at this job. I'm kicking butt. I'm in the top 10% of my group fighting every year. And I wake up and go, this sucks. I'm working for somebody else. I don't even like what I do. I'm only here because I'm chasing the buck. Man, I'm miserable. I don't, I don't like this at all. So here, here I was working so hard to achieve the dream. I get to the dream and I go, this is it? This, ain't, this isn't it. I don't like this. I don't like who I've become. I don't like what I do. And so I started all over and became an entrepreneur and failed hard. Um, failed a couple times, matter of fact, and, and just kept at it. And I said, you know what? If I could do it when I was in my 20s, being just a dumb kid, then I'm a little bit older now. Now I'm in my mid-30s. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that same tenacity of making mistakes, embracing them, learning from them, and getting after it again. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Well, just turned 41 not that, not that long ago. Now I've got a nice little pile of successes that have happened. But you're talking about a guy who went from $28,000 a year when I'm 23, right? Eating pizza six days a week, living in a studio apartment that I kid you not was 275 square feet tiny little thing to making three quarters of a million dollars by the age of 27 to by the age of 35 had made a ton of money and stopped gave it all up to become an entrepreneur so my income went right back down to zero failed and stumbled and eventually learned enough to build my way back out but you had money saved by then i did I did. That was, that's that's a little softening of the blow. It's still hard to do, even if you got money saved. I know a lot of people got a lot of money saved. They quit and they're back at work within a year. Yeah. So so I I argue that you know if you're if you grow up poor and you actually create a little pile of money, right? You 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 get something. You 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 you've crafted together a level of success and security. It takes real courage to take all those chips and push them right back in, right? That's, it's different when it, look, if you come from middle class or upper middle class and you fall and you're 28 years old, you know, your parents are going to let you back, move back in the house or dad's going to spot you some cash or what have you. When you've got no safety net at all and you've created this little pile of money, man, you become like a hoarder. You're like, Oh, I can't let go of this success. I got it. It takes a, a kind of a messed up person, frankly, to go, nah, this ain't it. I got to push it all back in and do it again. Um, that that takes a weird person. And I say weird. You know, I call myself weird all the time. I've really embraced that. Like I'm, I'm as I've gotten older, I'm, I embrace the fact that I'm an odd duck in some ways because that's weird wiring. Most people won't take on that level of risk. Why do you think that is? Uh, I, I think it's because I got a chip on my shoulder about the size of the Titanic, and I, I need to prove somebody right, and that somebody is me. Right, I, I, I believe that I can be smart. I believe that I can be successful. I believe I can be a better person. I can be a better father. I can be a better husband, a better leader. I can be a better entrepreneur. I believe that I can be. And so I got to wake up every day and prove to myself that I am that person, right? Or what? I can't live with myself. The, 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 I, I just feel that I'm, if I let myself down, it's so devastating it, 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 I'm so distraught. Oh my God. Like, like no level of success I've ever had. I've ever thought, Oh, I'm successful now. I just go, man, I'm a freaking putz. I, I know these other guys that are a t- hundred times more successful than me. I got to get to work. That's what I do. It's like, everybody's like, dude, how'd you do it? And I'm like, do what? Do what? <laughs> yeah. 
exactly like you, this fuck i'm working what are you talking about right. i'm still doing it like yeah. let me i'll let you know when i've done it <laughs> like, <laughs> i say the same thing i say the same thing but that's only because i see all these people around that are like killing the game yeah you know ed Milet. yeah yeah like that dude's killing the game and you know andy frisella yep he's killing the game yes they are both are like, dude go out to his houses and his properties and his family it's not just about financial dude his family's cool like if you look up cool in the dictionary, it'll have a picture of Andy. Yep. And it'll be like, he knows what's cool to write cars to buy, even when they're collectors. You know, like I'd come up I'd come up to the car show in mine and be like, check it out, dude, 69 Camaro. And then everybody else, you know, kind of snickers like, well, I mean, if you were a real connoisseur, you'd have this. And then it's like, how the hell? I didn't know to get a 68 Challenger. <laughs> Damn, that is cool. That is cool. So, so after you were like hey this ain't what i like and you mm-hmm. pushed it all out you got a little money though oh look did it run out yes all the way out. all the way did you get nervous did you think damn maybe i better get a job because a lot of people say they have the same story as you and me because again we have similar stories but guess what they say fuck that dude i blew all my savings i made a big mistake and they go get a job back why how come you didn't um you know it's it's funny i was talking about this just the other day in that i have built multi-million dollar companies i've built brands i've hired tons of people i don't think anybody would hire me i'd hire you you. there's people out there (laughs) i don't look if i put my resume on linkedin right now and blasted it to 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 a hundred thousand people i don't think too many people would pay me very much right like it's a weird thing like that may be true I don't think I don't believe strongly that anybody would hire me what I'm worth relative to what I've accomplished, right? Not what I think that I'm worth. That's what I've actually accomplished. No one's going to pay me. No one. Here's like, a like like if you said, "Hey, man, I'm I'm normally you know I normally net about two mil a year." Oh, sorry, dude. Buck eighty is as high as I can go. Right. <laughs> I, so here's a good example. I've built two tech companies. Okay. Um, I don't code. Amazon Web Services would not come and say, hey, Pierre, we're going to pay you 700 grand a year to go manage a, 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 an engineering team or a sales team. Two things that I've done quite successfully. They would never do that. Why? Because I didn't work at Microsoft. And you don't have the degree they're looking for. Right. But I've created more wealth and more value and more jobs than their entire team. But I don't have, I didn't go to MIT or, or, or I, didn't, I didn't work at Microsoft selling you know, servers back in the 80s. So th- thus, I must not know what I'm doing. So out of the two, which one's your favorite? Yahin or yeah. Puro so, Trader? So, so cigars are near and dear to my heart, but the cigar market's a small market. Wine is a massive market, and it's frankly wildly broken. I'll prove it to you. So only about 5% of wine is sold online. Now, that's a $100 billion annual per year market in just the U.S. How many? $100 billion in sales per year. That's what the U.S. consumes. Just the U.S., okay? Only 5% of that is purchased online. Now, think about that. Name another market that is so disjointed like that, right? So, so think about what you buy online now. You buy everything online. Uber comes along and destroys the cab industry. Airbnb comes along, wildly disrupts the hospitality industry, right? Amazon comes in and destroys brick-and-mortar retail. 
You got Casper and Purple that come in and change the mattress game, right? And it, look, if the internet can change the mattress game where you now don't go into a mattress store and actually touch the product, you click a button and this massive, bulky, heavy thing gets shipped to your house and you're happy with it. Man, if I told you that just five, six, seven, eight years ago, you'd think I was nuts. Now everybody does it. But here we got this wine industry and everybody buys wine the same exact way. They go to Whole Foods or Costco or where where their local grocery store and they just go, oh, what's the rating? What's the price? Like that's the only thing that matters. If we only cared about ratings and price, then every one of us would buy a Toyota Corolla, right? Great ratings, low price, but we don't. We buy BMWs, we buy Mercedes, we buy Porsche, we buy Ferrari, we buy all these other cars. Why? Because the way it makes you feel, man. It's all about the experience that you have while you do it. We're talking to an artiste, folks. I just, I care. I mean, it's really, I mean, just, what it, what is life without emotion right you gotta care drab it's very very boring so so which one's your favorite wine or cigars Oof. which one makes you more money wine i mean no question <laughs> no hesitancy there um but i enjoy cigars a little bit more um only because i'm more familiar with them and i've just been in that business for a really long time and and you you got you got probably great stories where so and so came in one night because anytime you work at a good c- cigar bar or a good like spot like that, yeah. everybody hears about it and everybody shows up who's into cigars. Did Milton Burl ever roll in? Milton didn't, but as we were sitting here in Las I Vegas, I used Milton Burl just so some of the old fellas <laughs> know what I'm talking yes. about. Good good pullback. So we're here in Vegas, so I got to give a Steve Wynn story. No no stories without a Steve Wynn story. Does so, he smoke cigars? He is a cigar guy. Um, so this is back in the day. I'm 20, 23, 24 years old about this time. I'm working at the cigar bar that I mentioned. And um, it's at the Millennium Hotel in downtown Boston. And I would see this old guy show up in a Ferrari 550 Marinello. Now, I'm a car guy. I love cars. I would show him. I'd see him show up every single day and park in the valet, which was right, right next to the bar. And this guy would get out of his car. And that car doesn't have cup holders. So he'd pull his Dunkin' Donuts coffee from between his legs, stick it on the roof of the car while he got out of the car and grabbed his briefcase and what have you. And I would just be so offended. I'm like, how dare you drink Dunkin' Donuts in your, car, in your Ferrari, bro? He gets so mad. And so one day he comes into the bar and he sits at the bar and he goes, I'll take a Macallan 18 and uh, gets a cigar. And I go, hey, I have, by the way, I'm 24 years old. I have no idea who Steve Wynn is. None in the whole wide world, okay? He sits down, gets the McAllen 18, and I look at him, I go, who do you think you are? He goes, excuse me? I go, who do you think you are? You put Dunkin' Donuts in that Ferrari? I go, that's disrespectful. I'm giving him a hard time, right? Everyone at the bar knows who it's Steve, who Steve Wynn is, right? There are a bunch of old timers who all know who Steve Wynn is. They're all looking at me like, oh, you can't do that, right? Everyone's freaking out, and Steve Wynn starts cracking up because how many people give Steve Wynn a hard time? Not too many snot-nosed 24-year-old kids, right? So he starts laughing. I mean, he just thinks it's the funniest thing in the whole world. So we're, we're cracking wise back and forth about how he doesn't deserve that car. He doesn't respect it. And now the whole bar is getting into it, right? They're giving, you know, poking in his ribs a little, saying, oh, hey, Steve, couldn't afford the McAllen uh, 21. You had to get with the 18, right? So little jokes going back, and he's having a great time. And he gets back off into his car, and, and, and off he goes. Barely drinks his scotch smokes a third of his cigar i mean he's there for 15 minutes 
the moment the door shuts, the whole bar is like, oh, do you know who that guy is? You were just giving Steve Wynn a hard time, right? So, yeah, you, you meet all kinds of people in, in the cigar world. But that's just one of a million stories that I have. What about old... What's his name? Damn, why talk about a freaking brain freeze. Michael Jordan. You know what's funny about Michael Jordan is I've never met him, but a whole bunch of people that are either friends of Michael or people who want to be in business with Michael come to me to source gifts or cigars for him. So it's in a weird way I feel oddly connected. Like I know all his favorite cigars, what he likes, because just for so many years, people are like, I got to get something for Mike. His famous one is Partigas Lancieros or something like that. So he was on the back of his bus because he would smoke on the bus to the games, right? Uh, he would often smoke Hoya de Monterey Double Coronas, which is a big old cigar. Uh, and Scotty Pippen has this funny story about how he couldn't believe that you know Michael Jordan's sitting on the back of the bus smoking a cigar and no one, no one says boo because it's Michael Jordan, right? Um, but yeah, he, he, he is a true cigar connoisseur, really, really knows his stuff. Don't, don't be giving that guy a fake. Um, true lover of the craft and understands where it comes from the craftspeople that go into it i mean this is at the end of, at the end of the day wine and cigars are strikingly similar right it's agriculture it's farmers it's blending it's craftsmanship it's old world right do you, do you think smoking cigars constantly affects your skin or the eye color i don't think that smoking three to four five six cigars a day every day is a good idea Right. And people ask me all the time, how many cigars do you smoke? And I say, you know, I smoke a couple a week because I want to enjoy them. Um, you know, everyone's free to make their own decisions, but ultimately we know that too much of anything is a bad thing. Too many cigars in a day, not a great idea. Stop smoking garbage, move up quality, smoke something good, and just smoke it a little less. You'll have a much better experience. Hmm. And, and people can get cigars from you? They can, yeah. I prefer they go to purotrader.com well, that's and they what can I find mean. everything, yes. Yeah, Puro Trader. It's like if I went there, I can buy cigars there right now without even knowing you. That's correct. Yeah, so folks, if you guys want a connoisseur, I almost want to say snob, but you're too nice for the snob word. <laughs> but, 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 but that's what it's like. It's like if the, I always look for people like you when I buy in anything. Why? Because it's the true snobs. That's just the word, but it's not you. <laughs> the the the, the, right, the true almost you know expert is the one that like you know they're nice but you know they know their shit that's where you get your that's where you get your shit yeah i mean for me it's like if like if you had a crappy cigar you probably wouldn't even put it on your website it happens right we so the interesting thing about Puro Trader is that we don't sell the cigars we have retailers who list their inventory on there so you're actually buying from retailers all throughout the united states that's what makes us a little bit different and that's why we're able to get better pricing that's why we're able to find more rare and vintage things that's how that works um so sometimes they'll list stuff that i'm not a huge fan of but at the end of the day it's about your enjoyment in that thing right but if people like you make the mistake of asking me opinions on cigars we go deep down the rabbit hole real fast it wasn't a mistake (laughs) see again you you I don't get upset knowing I made a mistake. Some people do. Mm, it's not good. I don't. Like, dude, I'm not a cigar expert. I didn't claim to freaking go out and study for 10 years and then, damn it, I got bummed anyway. You know, I just decided to get into cigars. I got introduced to somebody who is very trustworthy. 
And uh, I'll bet you they don't know they're fake. And, and and to be fair, that's pretty darn common. Yeah. So so when so why would I get mad when someone tells me they're fake? I I'm like thankful. I'm like yes. Now I know the facts. Just like dude, when it comes to like you know adultery. If some if my friend knew that my wife was having an affair and didn't tell me, then I'd be mad. Right. Like I'd be mad you didn't tell me. Right. I'd be mad you I'd be madder if you saw them all, smoked one, smiled and then left and then someone that I know said, "Yeah, I was talking with Pierre the other day, he said you're fucking walking around with a bunch of fake cigars." <laughs> I'd go, "No, he didn't." Oh, yeah, he did. I'd be like, "What a dick." Yeah. Now some people, they'd do the opposite. They'd they'd call you a dick because you said, "Well, those are fake." Well, fuck you. No, my buddy's not ripping me off. Mhm. You know, you're wrong. And then when you leave, guess what they're saying? Fucking pompous prick. Yep. So it's 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 a it's a it's a double-edged sword. However, with me, dude, I'm I'm I like learning shit. I I don't care if I made a mistake in cigars, but what I don't uh know is where do you get the real ones? Well, now we know. Puro Trader this sounds like a commercial. It's, Perotrader.com. It's, it's, it's making me feel uncomfortable. Um, no, so if you ever want a lovely cigar <laughs> and trust its origin and source, perhaps a vintage. I should have you do my voiceovers. Go to Purotrader.com. <laughs> I love it. So look, for me, it's all about the level of enjoyment that someone has. I don't want to see anybody that gets ripped off. But with that being said, People get emotional around that, but but the reason that you don't and you go, hey, I'm not an expert in this thing. I made a mistake. That's okay. I want to learn. That's why you're you. That's why you're successful. But that that right there is far far more important than any other skill. Going to some fancy school or having lots of money. The the ability for you to go, hmm, I want to learn more about that. I got to be curious. I'm not, I don't take it as a personal offense or attack that I got something wrong. Who yeah. the hell cares? Let's yeah. get into it. I want to learn more. How do I go forward, right? That's why you are you and why most people are not Bradley. That's literally it. It's not any more complicated than that. And and people are going to be listening to this thinking, well, did you get mad at the dude who sold it? No. Why? Well, if he knew, I wouldn't get mad. I'd just smile and stop calling yeah <laughs> like right. like you dirty little dog you got me you got me you dirty dog and then i'd move on why well because i don't really care and plus i don't hang out with people that are unethical like that so either way i learned my lesson to move on which would tell me you know if someone comes into your freaking zone that's an expert and, and says hey you're getting ripped off shit dude you get that guy a cigar or a box. You give them the fake ones. You're mm-hmm. like, here, dude, you deserve this freaking <laughs> box. But anyway, I'm glad. So now I know. Again, I told you, I stopped a check from going out. I know. He, there's a reason for everything. Now, sure wine, is. where's the dangers in wine? What, what, what do people need to look out for on the old wine market? So let's talk about wine for a second in terms of how you as a consumer Maybe not Brad, but you as in most people purchase wine. So the vast majority of us are not wine experts, okay? And the industry does a terrible job of empowering you with information because they give you what's called the paradox of choice. They give you too much information, right? You've got 
vintage varietal house blend tewar they got all this jargon they, they bombard you with all this information about what you need to know to to be an expert in wine or to choose a good bottle of wine and and all that sounds really wonderful and then you you as a consumer go and try to buy wine and, and again we go back to that price and rating price and rating it's a terrible way to purchase wine what does it matter what some expert says whether you like it or not it matters if you like it or not and so I try not to get too esoteric here, but we've really completely changed the game in how you choose a bottle of wine. And how we do that is using a sophisticated AI software that actually identifies the flavor profiles in that bottle of wine, identifies your specific flavor profiles, and then matches the two. So when we give you a bottle recommendation, we have a 94% accuracy that you're not only going to love that wine, that you're likely to buy it again. Ratings don't matter. What these rating agencies give it for points doesn't matter. It matters what you like. That's all. So this is so think about this a little bit sort of esoterically. Think of how you buy anything right now. Mm-hmm. When Brad goes on to jcrew.com or, or or Banana Republic or wherever you go to buy clothes, what does it show you? It shows you what people that are like Brad buy. His size, his age, his demographic, his income level, what they call the cohort, right? What your demographic is like. And then they base all their recommendations on what other people like you have bought in the past. Well, what the hell does that have to do with you? That's just what other people do. I want to do what I, me, want to do. So there's no bespokeness. There's no customness to any online interaction on how you buy anything from HDMI cables to shoes to, to cargo shorts. And we think that's wrong. And so we change that completely because we push out ratings. We could care less what ratings are. We care what you specifically like. So we've identified 150,000 different flavor profiles, which means of all the humans that are out there, there's a combination, if you will, with their palate. And each one of us falls into one of these demographics of 150,000 different slices. That's a lot of slices. And then we overlay that information to how wine actually tastes. Not what it's rated as. Not what some guy with a beard thinks uh, over in New York. But what it actually does. So now we're giving you recommendations for you that will work for you specifically. That is a huge paradigm shift to how shopping is done, how recommendations are done. Well, that's only half our business, right? You know, Just telling you what you're going to like solves a problem for you but then the next problem is how the heck do you get that wine so we go direct to the manufacturers we go directly to vineyards so vineyards actually list their inventory directly on our platform and then we drive recommendations based on your specific palate and you're buying from the vineyard no middleman no three-tier system we completely blow that out so again that is super unique in the wine world bespoke recommendations combined with direct access to the men and women who actually make that product sounds fancy it is it's fun so so that would allow me to give you a profile of came special select mm-hmm. and then you would say if you like that then you've got to like these it's even deeper than that, but that's a good jumping off place yeah but that means I could say dude you take this buck 60 wine and find me a $30, $40 Bingo. equal. Correct. Or similar. Or similar, correct. And and I'll drink that on my dailies, and I'll drink that on my specials. Yes, that's exactly right. So that's where this gets a little sexier. So let's, let's talk about how wine is distributed in the United States, how you buy wine, okay? Now, there's three basic ways. You can either A, go to the vineyard. 
right? And when you go to the vineyard, what do you do? You pay for a tasting. If you like it, you might buy a, ba- a couple bottles or a case. And then a certain percentage of those people will convert into wine club members of that particular vineyard. So that's great for the vineyard. That's the highest margin, right? No middlemen from you to them. Direct. Yeah, I, I got some orders from Jessup Sellers once. Yeah, that's fantastic. Jessup Sellers is a, is, is a great... Uh, yeah, but they kept shipping me wine every freaking month. I wasn't drinking the wine they shipped last time. <laughs> it's a good, good problem for, for you to have. That's great wine. But so that's not how they make their money, right? So that's one avenue. And the second avenue to distribution is restaurants, right? So the problem with if you're a vineyard and you're selling a restaurants is... You know, you have to hire a wholesaler or somebody that goes out to all these restaurants and has a relationship and sells them wine. And then your profit margin is lower, but but your sales are higher, right? So it kind of offsets, fine. So that's one method. And then the last method is what we call the three-tier system, right? Which is where you sell into a retailer like a Costco, which sells more wine than any other business in the entire world. Good mm-hmm. old Costco. You got Whole Foods and other places like that. And there, the margin is super, super thin, but the volume is extraordinary. Now, the problem with that is if you're a small to mid-sized winery, a boutique winery, you simply A, can't afford it, B, don't make enough wine to even get on the shelf. So the three-tier system and getting on the shelf of Whole Foods is unlikely for 99% of the vineyards that are out there, which means greater than 60% of the sales from all the small and mid-sized wineries that are out there all come from their wine list. Well, think about that realistically. How many people in the U.S. actually get to go to Napa? Not a ton, right? Relative to the population, we have 350 million people who live here. There's only so many people who are going to go to Napa and discover these wines and get on their lists and so forth. So it's said differently, most of us don't have access or even know that this stuff is out there. We have deleted all of those steps. Can yeah. I Can I, Can I? I uh, reach... Um Camus and get on their list and buy direct from them? You sure can. You can? Yep. Damn, they'd like me as a customer, wouldn't they? They sure would. See, I didn't even know that. Like, when I get Camus, I go to Lee's Liquor, I call around, I'll look online, because you don't get it everywhere. That's right. You know, oh, they got a case. Oh, they got two cases. Like, the other day, I walked into... um, What's that chain? It's like Wine and More. uh, Bevmo or Total Wine. Total Wine. Total Wine. It's over by the town square there yep walked in they had two cases of camus so i snatched them both why well because you can't always find the shit that's right why is that that has to do so camus is a big company right they produce a lot of wine and camus happens to be one of my favorites so with camus here's a good example here's a great example of camus so thank you for bringing them up so camus their number one brand is Camus, right? They're actually owned by the Wagner family. So it's Wagner Family Estates who makes Camus. Their second biggest brand is Mer Soleil. It's a fantastic white that they make. And those, they make in high enough volume that you can get in most fine restaurants and a lot of good you know, wine shops like a Bev Wine or a Bev Mo or Total Wine. But not all the time. There's production issues. They can only produce a certain amount. And there's a lot, a lot of customers who want them. So you have supply chain inventory issues. You just can't get some of it. Well, what a lot of people don't know is that the Wagner family makes a wine called Bonanza. Bonanza is a $30 blend, very similar to Camus, that goes fantastic with burgers off the grill or a pizza, right? You don't have to spend $200 on a bottle of Camus Special Select. That's great for special occasions. It's amazing. But you want a daily and you like Camus, well, buy Bonanza. Here's the problem. When have you ever seen Bonanza on the shelf? 
not that much. Chuck's son and daughter make both make a fantastic Pinot. I mean, lights out, freaking amazing $40 Pinot, and you can't find it anywhere because it's difficult for him to get through the three-tier system. I mean, they make my even case for per- them, even for them. And that's exactly my point. It's why they're a perfect example is because even for them, they struggle to get on that shelf. So if they struggle, imagine all the great manufacturers that are out there that don't have a chance in hell. And we, we solve that problem for them. So you go to Yahin. Yes. How's it? Yahin, yes. Yeah, Yahin. Yeah, Y-A-H-Y-N. Yeah, it's the... That's like Yahshua, except for Yahin. Yin, yeah. So, so ultimately, I go to Y-A-H-Y-N.com. Yes, sir. And I can... How do I taste... How do you know my palate? So you got to fill out a survey when you're there. Yep, you're going to fill out a survey of non-wine-specific questions. What if, what if, oh, really? Yes. So what if people don't know what they like? It's just based on that survey? It's based on that survey, which, again, you're not asking wine questions. We're asking questions like, do you like the smell of fresh-cut mushrooms? Do you like the taste of black coffee, right? These create palate identifiers. So based on those answers of non-wine things, you like the smell of fresh-cut grass, things like that, we yes. know... We know what you like. We can actually do that. Now, what's incredible is the company that we work with that helps us drive these recommendations, this is where it gets creepy, okay? They can actually custom make wine specifically for you or James Suckling or Wine Spectator or whoever, any rating agency, that will always score 100 points. Why? Because we can figure out what the rating company likes based on their 100-point scores from the past, do a test on that, know what the breakdown, and in a lab with wine, recreate that test for pennies on the dollar. It's, I mean, we're talking blow your mind crazy, right? It was really, really nuts when you think about it. So why don't people just like don't buy any wine from anywhere but you? That's a great question. Because <laughs> again, why would you? you? You might not like it. Yes, you could go pick something up from the store, Whole Foods, even freaking Vaughn's has it. Yep. You know, hey, that looks like a good one. You're, 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 you're just label picking. Have so, you ever done that? Oh, many, many times. I'd be lying to you if I told you otherwise. The, the fun thing about sort of the psychology of making this investment, right? So if I put $120 pairs of shoes in front of you and a $120 bottle of wine in front of you, you are much more likely to take the risk on the shoes because you can return it. You don't feel committed. You pop that bottle of wine, it's over, buddy. That's it, right? You're, you're, not you, at a restaurant. No, not at a restaurant, but in a, in a grocery store or a wine shop, right? If you don't like it, they're not really going to take it back. Have you ever popped open a shitty bottle of wine? Only a few times in my whole life that's actually happened. I never have. They hand me the cork. What am I supposed to do? Squeeze it, see if it's dense? What am I supposed to do? Sniff it? Don't sniff it. Don't sniff it. What are you it. supposed to do? You're just supposed to really just leave it alone. Honestly, um, sometimes I'll squeeze it. Squeezing it is the best thing because what you want to know is if the cork is wet. If the cork is wet, then it means it's expanded and kept all the air out of the bottle. Don't. If anybody smells it, they don't know what the hell they're doing. So there's no, nothing you're sniffing for. No, no, no. Smell, and why do when people swirl the shit and then stick their beak way down in the glass? Yeah. So, so all looking right. all pompous and shit. Yeah, it's terrible. So I got a funny. But they want a snootful. Yes. Dude, so, you, you got to be one of them snoot fullers. So I got a great story about that. So I'm in Del Frisco's in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm with some fancy wine folks, and we order a bottle of Camus Special Select, funny enough. Um, man, the Camus is getting all the shout-outs today. So we order this bottle, right, and I'm with a, a retired general. 
we, the bottle comes and the sommelier standing there with the bottle and she pours the glass and I, and I just, I, I look at it, take a quick t- taste, kind of nod to her. And my buddy, the, the retired general looks at me and he's so offended. He's like, no, that's not how you do it. You got to put your nose in there and breathe it all in. And you got the white tablecloth. You got to look at the color. And I look at him and I grab the bottle right out of her hand and I'm talking tip it all the way back. The bottle is now straight up and down. I am sucking off this bottle of Camus. I slam it down on the table and I go, tastes great to me. The sommelier is mortified. I mean, you think she's going to faint. She's mortified. The general starts cracking. I mean, he's laughing his balls off because it's so opposite of what the wine world teaches you where you have to be super pretentious. Dude, it's wine. It's a drink. Enjoy it. Who cares? Right? And when you meet a lot of these winemakers, dude, they got dirt on their boots. They're farmers. Yeah, but if you're judging it, you have to get your beak in there. You, you, and because you're an artist, you've got... I saw you sniff with one <laughs> nostril clogged. Like like he plugged one nostril and put the cigar up to the other one. Why? Well, because we really want to get it down to one nostril. Yeah. You want to just pick up every aroma. You know? Hold on. Let me plug this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if you're, if, you're, if you're a one nostril cigar sniffer you've got to be a nose in the glass wine sniffer okay so here's a little trick to all you wine folks out there stick your nose and your mouth open okay open your palate open your nose put them both in the glass cock the glass at an angle that creates more surface area breathe in through your mouth and nose simultaneously you get a more well-rounded idea of what is what what you're about to drink so olfactory senses are more powerful than taste. So you want to warm those up, if you will. It's kind of like warming up a car um, to what it's about to happen. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Dude, I've been forgetting to drop bombs. There you go. I'm going to give you a bomb. Only because you said for what's about to happen. See what I mean, folks? This guy's like a enthusiast. I would say you're an enthusiast. Thank you. You're a fan. That's right. You're a fan of the wine. Yes. You're a fan of the cigar. Why not whiskey and cigars? Um, you know, this is going to come to a shock to some people. I don't drink very much at all. I probably drink one to two bottles of wine per month. Um, I've actually never tasted beer. I've never tasted whiskey. I've never tasted any hard alcohol. I've never been drunk a day in my life. And, and that comes from my upbringing, right? So, you know, you grow up with an alcoholic uh, as, your, as your parent and you quickly realize the dangers that are there. And if you grow up with an alcoholic parent, the likelihood that you become an alcoholic is 10x higher no, than your, your perspective. Too. You know why? You've heard it. Two dudes, one's successful, one's fucking a wreck. Yeah. They, and they're brothers. They grew up in the same house. Everything's the same. They asked the, 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 the wreck, why are you like you are? And he said, well, my dad's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they asked the successful one, why are you like you are? And he said, my dad was an alcoholic. 100%. I mean, that is so spot on. That's exactly right. So I just ran from it. I mean, I'll be very honest with you. Never tasted it. Literally never tasted a beer my whole life. Ever? Ever. Never. Well, dude, you're not missing much. And, you know, there's beer lovers out there. I'm not one of them. But I will say, hot day, beer on ice, crack that bitch open. That first swig is freaking good. Like, <laughs> like I don't finish the, the, the bottom of the beer. But, dude, that first crack on a hot-ass day, dude, beer is good. Other than that, I'm not a big fan of beer either. I'm, I love wine. But 
whiskey I'll do and and and, and scotch more so lately. Why? Well, because. You get a nice cigar. You go sip on a scotch. You, you don't get into that. I, I just never went down that path. I frankly have enough expensive habits and, and passions. I probably don't need another one. But honestly, you know, just real sort of general fear of, of falling into that trap. And I just said I will never ever go down that path. I mean, look, if if, if you there, there's two simple ways to look at it. You see this person setting an example, and you don't think that's a very smart way to go. You can either blindly follow the mistakes that they've made, or you can use those things to your advantage and just do the damn opposite. Just do the opposite of what that person's doing. And you're bound to turn out a lot better. And that's exactly what I did. Well, like action causes like result. 100%. So if whatever you're doing turns it, turns someone into an alcoholic loser, don't do what they're doing. <laughs> I always say, don't take real estate advice from a homeless person, right? Like, yeah. probably well, I mean, not a good depends, idea. It depends. It depends on what kind of advice. What not to do? Yep. I'd love to talk to a homeless person. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay, but if you're looking to make money, don't get it from the homeless person. That's exactly it. So this is interesting. I, you know, knowing you from before, it's like I didn't really realize that this is what the what the company was all about. I I, I figured, you know, you're just a trader in cigars and wine. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. In the wine business, like Gary Vee. Yep. Like you go to wine library, they don't have this technology. They're not. I mean, somebody there might try to do it manually, but, you know, more than likely not. So how much wine are you doing a month? Like are you a wine library has got to be huge, you know? So wine library is massive. Um, great company. They do a ton of sales. Uh, you know, taking nothing away from library. Really, really like them a lot. They, I actually look at wine library as a, uh, they help our business, frankly. Um, so I want to see them succeed very, very, very much. Do you um, know Gary? I don't know Gary personally. No, but I know who he is, obviously. You have to be living under a rock to not know who Gary V is. Yeah, and he that. just sold empathy to Constellation Brands for a, for a boatload of money. Did he? He did. Yeah. You know. He 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 completely used his brand recognition to do that. He that's sure that's did. why it's very valuable to build a personal brand. Yes. Because a personal brand can sell anything. Like Joe Rogan, you know, with the hundred mil, mm-hmm. dude. He's to a point where, listen, I mean, if he gets behind the right thing, that's another hundred mil mm-hmm. and another hundred mil. Just just from the popularity and the influence that people carry. Well, I think what Joe Rogan has done is a complete paradigm shift to way entertainment is distributed. And you're going to see, a, you've already started to see it, right? Spotify has, has decided that they're going to be the acquirer of talent. And by doing that, they get the most amount of audience. It's, it's shocking that Apple didn't jump into that game, just given that their platform is there. But Spotify is exactly in the right place, right? Get those eyeballs and get them quick and, and, and become the dominant player in the podcasting space. And to your point, if you have a strong personal brand, I mean, on it, which is Joe Rogan's company, right? He owns that with Aubrey Marcus, is incredible. But most of what they sell, their their sort of fitness stuff, is stuff you can buy other places for the same price or cheaper. But because of the personal brand, because those two guys are out there and they're likable and they have this huge audience, those guys freaking crush, man. They it's crush on it, on it. Yep. So I also see you're a connoisseur of watches. That looks like a Panerai from here. It is a Panerai, yes, sir. See? Panerai. Very exclusive. <laughs> Only in the know would you get a Panerai. That's right. Why is that? I like the story behind the watches, the history. So you, what about an IWC Big Pilot? Oh, man. IWC 
uh, is one of my favorites. The uh, can you tell real watches? I know I got those. So the I am not a watch expert by any stretch of the imagination. That is not my skill set, and I would never even try. Um, there are people far better than me that are out there. That is out of my knowledge pool. I'm, I'm in, I like them enough to spend my money on them, but I'm, I don't geek out with them. Right? That's not my, that's not my area. So why a Panerai? Um, I've always liked the style and the simplicity and the heritage. Um, I love the fact that there's a military background to it. There was a sort of purpose built, right? They're not they're not just sort of pretty watches to be pretty. There's a reason behind it, right? They were they were used by the Italian military for a long time, and then after that, within the Navy SEAL community, they became kind of a thing uh, to own. And so there's just some really great long history and story there, and that's really what you're buying. I mean, if we think about luxury in general. You don't care if you're talking about watches or an Aston Martin or a bottle of wine. Why is it so expensive? Well, the way I look at it is luxury is really about time. It's the consumption or use of time. So think about it. A Toyota Corolla is made in like eight seconds or whatever the number, eight minutes or whatever the number is. It's a couple of minutes. But an Aston Martin takes many, many people, hundreds and hundreds of hours to craft so one of the things that luxury really personifies, this is very true with cigars and wine, is the amount of time that craftspeople put into that thing that now you get to enjoy. That's what makes it special. That's what makes it luxury. So that whole world is all very similar in that you get to consume time. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, dude, I know why you succeeded because you're a good salesperson. Thank you. Everything is sales. Well, well, the the, the reason why is because you're not trying to sell anything, and that's the people that sell the most. <laughs> is the ones that they're not there to sell. You're just helping people understand wine and cigars so they can enjoy. That's it. Because because you would literally be offended if one were to, you know, partake in a nice cigar and not have the experience you would hope for them. If, if, if yes, if everybody's first cigar was a great cigar, everybody would smoke cigars. But unfortunately, a lot of us smoke, you know, when we're kids and we sneak a cigar or whatever, and we have our first experience, it's from some, you know, gas station, nasty. nasty and we're going, we're never going to do that again. And man, if your first cigar is a good cigar, men, women, doesn't matter. They, they're, they get hooked, man. They're what amazing. Do you, what do you think of the flavored cigars? Like a fat bottom Betty trash. Nasty. That's trash. What about my father? My father is fantastic, right? Don Pampin is the man. He is the master. He's the manufacturer over there. So uh, my father's cigars are phenomenal. What would be a normal cigar you can buy at stores? They're not faked. If you buy it at a cigar shop, 90% real. You know, maybe these people that aren't looking for vintage, like they're thinking, man, I love this dude. I'll, I'll get something. But they can't, they can't afford big, big sticks. So I've got three brands that I love that are reasonable in price point, construction quality, flavor. It's all there. It's all dialed in, but it's affordable, right? So I love Nat Sherman. Nat Sherman. I love Tatawahe, and I love Foundation. Um, those are my like three cigars that if you buy anything in their line, 
you're going to enjoy it. It's going to be a great quality cigar, and you're not going to pay through the nose for it. Um, you know, most of their sticks are somewhere between sort of eight and eighteen dollars, kind of in that range. Look, I love Padron and I love Davidoff and stuff like that. Those are fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But now we're into the you know high twenties, low thirties for a lot of their product, and for a lot of people. Smoking a thirty-eight dollar cigar is, you know, a little on the rich side, especially if you're doing five a day. Yeah, it gets a, it gets a little pricey. Matt, sure, Tatawate and what foundation? Mm-hmm. Now, the the individual is there a style that you will always use if you like a big ring gauge, or is there a name for big ring gauge cigars like a wide Churchill? You know, you think big fat cigar because I don't like the little skinny ones. That's why I was gonna try one of those you gave those dudes yeah because like obviously my funadores yes. when i was puffing on those number one they were hard to, to puff in yeah number two i was like there ain't nothing special about these well that's why dude number one they're fake but it ruined my skinny cigar yeah impression so so here is some you know getting ready for some knowledge here so ring size and flavor have an inverse relationship. So people think big ring gauge, big flavor. Nah, dude, that's actually not true. Big ring gauge, mild flavor. And the reason is, think about how you smoke a cigar. It's a certain amount of tobacco, lit on fire, and a certain amount of air coming through. So it's really a tobacco to burn to air ratio, if that kind of makes sense, right? With a smaller ring gauge cigar, the flavor gets turned up because there's less air. The smoke is more concentrated. Mm, so I like the skinny ones then. So w- with women, right? So when I, when I teach women how to smoke cigars. Women, I definitely like the skinny ones. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> so with women. I'm often, joking, ladies. I'm joking. I, I love all women <laughs> equally. Equally. Yeah. I mean, again, dude, they don't have to be scrawny and skinny. No. You know, there's beautiful thunderous women too so when women choose cigars they tend to choose cigars on based on size they want something small and petite and that's actually usually too strong for them men do the exact opposite they go i want a strong cigar i want something powerful and they go grab the biggest cigar right Mm -hmm. and and ironically it should be the other way around right um so i always try to get people to dial in their format right what size and shape is the right one for what they're trying to achieve Interesting. Well, I'm going to buy my cigars from Puro Trader. Now, can you find? You, you, why don't you use the same algorithm to fucking do cigars? Um, it's a little bit more complicated on the cigar side, and Sounds the market like an excuse. and the market is way too small. Oh. That's really what it comes down to. There's just not the value. But that'd be there. a cool service. I'd be the best. I mean, like, dude, wine. Service. I don't even. All, all I'm interested in doing right now is take the thing and and try a wine that you recommend. Why? Well, because what if it is good? What if it is delicious? <laughs> like, dude, I, I, I'm not the type that buys expensive shit just because it's expensive. Yeah, right. Like, you want just something that's good, right? But the the expensive shit usually is good. See the thing, and that's why it's expensive. Supply and demand. Like, you right. want that shit, so does everybody else. It's fucking good. Buy it or or don't. You know, someone will buy this shit. It's good. So expensive stuff is usually good but i'm not i don't buy it because it's expensive and i can look cool i want to buy it because it's good now if it happens to be expensive that's fine that's why again cuban cigars like well they're costly dude i don't give a shit what they are it's like oh that's a 700 hundred dollar box of 10 
fucking good are they good and more importantly are they real because <laughs> if they're real well shit send them on you know what i'm saying right but but if 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 an expert said dude those 70 dollar sticks which are good and they're real you can go get a freaking eight dollar partagus lancieros yep and believe me if you like that you'll love that at eight bucks I'd start smoking $8 cigars. Now, would I still have the 70s? Probably. For the humidor, for the show, for the, hey, look at me. Right. I got the goodens. <laughs> but but I don't really care. Is there a wine out there that, like, other than Bonanza, that would be, like, a select equal for under 50 bucks? Oh, I got the wine. Grab the pen. So this is my favorite. This is my favorite, what I call barbecue wine. Yeah. Okay. It's by a company called Dariush. Dariush. So they're based in Napa. They're on the Silverado side. Um, they make a fantastic cab and it's very expensive and what have you. But they make this other bottle um, called Mixed Blacks. And it is a red blend. It is sub $40. Um, and it is out freaking standing. Outstanding wine. Now, <laughs> now that's what I think's fun. Finding a wine for 40 bucks that tastes like the $200 dogs. Yep. It's beautiful. Amazing story. So can he, you, can you, can you, do you pair people with yep. it? So do you put in a list of inventory of all the inventory? So, so like I could, I could do your test and you could say, dude, you'll love came a special select. Yes. So, so I only hesitate to say that, that it has to make one assumption that we've actually tested that bottle and vintage so we got to retest every vintage right because it changes every year so that being said we are constantly working in the background to test 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 more bottles more vintages on and on it's so that we, specific yeah it has to be like dude you you would have liked the 15 but it's out in the 16 18 19 they're no good and so i'm not going to recommend this one yeah look so, so a good example you know just what does that cost me to do as a user zero so you get paid from the from the retailer, or I mean from the manufacturer. We get paid when you buy the wine, the vintner. Yep, that's where we that's where we make our money. Is a is a winery family considered vintners, or are they considered wineries? I could not tell you what the definition of one versus the other is. We just call them all vineyards, right? And, and yeah, but I'm saying vintner. Yes, so that's slightly different in that theoretically they make their own wine and bottle their own wine, which a lot of companies don't do. Just the cost of operation and scale has changed over the years. So a lot of wineries don't even use all their juice, all their fruit. So they'll sell most of their fruit to somebody else and keep what they want for, for their own distribution. I mean, the wine business is a little bit crazy out there. So here's one that'll blow everybody's mind. Did you know wine is not for vegetarians? Dun, dun, dun. Why? What's in them? Because there's actually an animal protein that's actually found in a lot of in a lot of wines. Why? Um, it has to do with uh, a couple different things from the from the chemistry side of of keeping the the flavor uh, and the wine stable um, for very long periods of time. Um, you got to remember that a company like Gallo Wine, right, which makes a ton of wine, they're one of the largest producers of wine, has sixty PhDs chemists that are fiddling with wine in the background to to dial in to get you to buy it. 
right? So you just have to remember that their game is rigged here in the big wine space. There's a lot of eggheads out there with test tubes that are making your wine. So while you think of winemakers the way you and I would and how I am trying very hard every single day to bring the forefront, which is craftsmen and women who blend real wine from their field to have dirt on their boot. That's how you want to drink your wine. You got to remember most of the wine that you're drinking out there is made by a chemist in a lab, right? We use our lab to test that wine to make sure it is what they say it is and pair it with you. It's a very different way of, uh, of attacking it. Mm, you should license that technology to restaurants. Can you do it in milliseconds? So we, we are launching. So I just gave you an idea, didn't I? So we're launching our app. Um, and our app will actually have that ability for you. And we took it one step further um, where you'll actually be able to take a snapshot of the wine list. And if you've got a profile with us, we'll say, oh, there you go, Brad. You want this bottle right here. And we mm. base that bottle specifically on your flavor profile. But we, there's a problem, Brad. Wait, there's more. There's a problem. You're not buying that bottle just for you. You're buying that bottle for you and your wife, you and your business associates, you and whoever else is at the table. Well, that doesn't work, right? But if we've just if we've optimized that bottle for your palate, what are we telling them to those people? So what we've done is we've used our AI. Tell them to sign up. (laughs) That's exactly right. So once you sign up, you can become friends, which means hey. Brad and I are out to dinner and I've got a profile on Yayin and he's got a profile on Yayin and we take a picture of this wine menu and it says the bottle that is most optimized that you both will like is this one. Very different from the one that you might get on your own. Yeah, but I wouldn't use that feature. No? You just get the wine that you want to get? Yeah, I'd say what's the wine I would like the most? <laughs> and then if he's got a profile, he can do the same thing and we'll have two bottles of wine. Nothing wrong with that. I'll drink mine and he can drink his. So the benefit to restaurants is what they will find is their average cart size is larger, right? Because not to say that we recommend only expensive wines. We don't. We optimize based on flavor, not on price. That's up to you to choose on price. So we'll give you five, six, eight, seven recommendations and it might range from $29.99 to $300,000, $400,000. We'll just put them all up there and just go, here's the ones you're going to like. Try them. All right, it's up to you to make that decision. Um, but restaurants love us because, in testing anyway, we find that the user feels more confident on their purchase because they know with a high degree of certainty that I'm going to buy this thing I don't really know anything about. But because of this app has done the testing and knows who I am, I'm going to like it. So they're more confident in going up in the price point. So, man, restaurants welcome us with open arms. Mm. Tricky, tricky. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, sounds like you got it all figured out. Yeah, hardly. Everyone listening, I guarantee, is going to go check out your website. If you guys want to follow them on Instagram, at Puro Rogers. You also got a podcast. What's your podcast? So my podcast is called There Is No Try. You can find it everywhere where there's a podcast. And uh, if you liked what we were, what Brad and I were talking about in terms of you know, growing up from a tough background and, and hacking it out and the mindset that it takes um, and the weapons that you can use to get there. We really focus on what I call the dip. Brad, you were on my podcast. Yeah, and it's funny too because I said, what do you want to talk about? And this is more what you wanted to talk about. But see, I, I'm selfish with my podcast. I'm trying, to, <laughs> I'm trying to find out shit I want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then hopefully the listeners like it too. It's like kind of like the wine. Yes. 
Like, why, why I got you here? I don't. I don't need to learn how to fucking come out of a bad shitty area and fucking move forward. I did it. Yeah, you're <laughs> but, right. But but like now now I'm like, dude, what about the wine? What about the cigars? So we should have just freaking spent some time on 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 that because a lot of people literally limit themselves never find happiness if you can Mm -hmm. call it that because i think you choose happiness but anyway long story short a lot of people do limit themselves what Mm -hmm. would you say to those people in closing if you're out there you're stuck you're from a bad neighborhood you're from a bad family you're from a bad situation it's possible the first thing i would say is good you think it's you think it's valuable because of the pain you felt I think that that pain is the greatest teacher that's ever been and you know exactly what you don't want. And half of knowing what you want is knowing what you have to give up in order to get it. You now know empirically what you do not like. What is the wrong way to do things? You don't have to know the right way to do things. You can just avoid stepping on the freaking landmines, bro. Your life isn't going well because of all of these things. Stop doing that. Make a conscious decision today to go all of those things my crappy parents taught me and the, the crap that I'm in right now. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to do the opposite. Just do the opposite and it will be significantly better. Sounds easy and it is. Now, if you, if you want more of that and then some, because you're bringing on guests, you're, you're, you're interviewing people, you're, you're making points, but it's all entrepreneurial mainly? It's it's a little bit I want to say it's broader than just entrepreneurial but yes so what we do is we've we've talked to um rap stars country music stars navy seals nfl football players authors musicians everybody you can think of and what we focus on is that time in their life where things were at their absolute worst what decision or decisions did they make at that moment when which everything was going wrong to work their way back out to be the success that they are now and what what i call truthism what things can we sort of coax out of there that we can learn from to better our situation where we're trying to get so you didn't you didn't like me as a guest because i think when people ask me about hard times i don't acknowledge them i don't feel like i've had any so what if you tried to yank that shit out of me what was i what did i say do you remember i do very clearly so you talked about living on the beach because you didn't have any other options right right and you were like hey man I'm living on the beach. This is the greatest thing ever. And you're homeless. Like most people look at that and go, man, I'm at the bottom. This is terrible. What am I going to do? Woe is me. Pity, pity, pity. And Brad's sitting here going, it could be way worse. I could be dead in a ditch. I'm on the beach, man. I'm getting after it. Right. And that really is the personification of why you are successful. It's really, it's because I shouldn't be that simple. I dropped out of school. Like when, when I heard you telling your story, I similar, except for guess what? I didn't barely make it out of high school. I dropped out of high school. I didn't stumble through college. I didn't go to college. I didn't freaking, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm you, but worse. <laughs> yeah, so worse. Somehow you found a worse student than me. Well, no, but, but what I learned very quickly is you knew what you didn't want. I didn't, I mean, my family kind of was raised, children should be seen and not heard. There wasn't, like, abuse or or or, or lack. I didn't really feel like there was, but... I went and got a job once, a real job, okay? Manual labor. Like hard work. Like fuck that. Yeah. Like dude, Forget I like I don't noise. want I don't want that shit. Like <laughs> nope. I knew that. Yeah. Okay, cuz I did it and I'm like, "Hell no. Are you trying to tell me that this is what a man does? Gets up every day at 3:30 so you can get to a bus that takes you up in the mountains and then you go up and down hills and 
there's dust and sticks and poison oak and bullshit. <laughs> okay, you get home sore and hungry and you get up the next day and do it again. Like, are you shitting me? <laughs> dude, that's the equivalent. Yes. And I just said, dude, there's gotta be a there's gotta be better than this. So I'm like, I'm done. Open a newspaper, sales job staring me at the face. So I go down, I already like to dress sharp. Okay, so I go down. Oh, you get to wear a suit? Dude, I used to think suits were the coolest thing ever. Same. So now I get to wear a suit. I roll up in there, freaking get the job. Boom, start kicking everyone's ass. Freaking six to ten grand a month. This was a long time ago. So that was really like probably 25, 30 now. I was making more than my parents. And everyone kept telling me how dumb I was and how... You know, I should be looking for a real job and without hard work, you're never going to make it and all this bullshit we get told. And I'm like, why do I got the nicer car? <laughs> <laughs> like, why do I got more money than you? Right. You know, they'd come home freaking blisters and sore and freaking put in a good hard day. And I'd come home. I didn't put in a hard day at all. I bullshitted, have fun, drove cars all day. See what I'm saying? Yep. And it's like, dude, that just resonated with me. You, you, you had the equivalent, but you weren't, you know, making nothing. You were making seven fifty. You did the same thing. You're like, dude, I don't fucking like this. No. It just happened to not be forest work. Right. It was whatever you were doing. Yep. You didn't like it. See now, why can't people that are listening to this think to themselves, do you like where you are? Do you like where you are? Because if you don't like where you are, you can't be afraid to let go of it to reach for what you want. The hardest part is figuring out what you want. But I like it better when you said freaking learning what you don't want is a way to figure out what you do want. Because if you're just like, I know I don't want that shit. Like, I don't like hard labor, dude. <laughs> if this old place took a shit, dude, I ain't, I'm, you'll never see me with blisters on my hands. Don't like it. Now, if I had to get blisters to save my family, and of course I'm willing to fucking work hard. Right. But why? You ever notice that? The hardest workers... And I'm, when, I'm, when I'm saying hard, I'm talking about physical. Yep. The hardest workers are usually the brokest workers. Yes. They're the ones working for the ones with, with no calluses. And they're the ones making all the money. And they're giving the hard workers a little bit of it. And they're the hardest workers. And guess what? They don't, they don't think in their head. And I don't understand it. But they don't think in their head, fuck this. <laughs> That's right. They think. I have to do this to get that money. Yep. When in reality, no, you don't. You don't. You don't have to do that, yep. dude. You can start a podcast. Literally, yep. you can freaking do a lot of things. You can start moving cigars. Mm -hmm. You can do so much shit that that you couldn't even imagine. You have the ability to do if you just made the choice, right or wrong. A hundred percent accurate. So, so if someone's out there listening, what would you tell them? So you're limited more by your mind and your imagination than in reality, right? So there's a famous uh, Seneca quote where he says, men suffer more in imagination than in reality. So you think in your head, oh, I can't do these things. It can't happen to me because of all these embarrassing things. What if I fail? What if it hurts? What if, whatever it might be, right? In your mind, you imagine all of the terrible things that could really happen when the reality is not that at all. The reality is you're going to go, you're going to try, and you're going to stub your toe, and you're going to learn some stuff, and you're going to move forward. We are all naturally have an ego. We're all naturally sort of have a, a, a narcissistic tendency, and social media has only made this worse. And what we think is that everybody's watching and that everybody cares. 
Or worse, dude, you care about what everybody thinks yes. if they watch. Right. See, that's I think that's what's broken in me. I can literally walk up and try something and fail and laugh all the way back to my seat. <laughs> and I don't care who's watching. Right. Because I don't care. Like, yep. like some some dude I don't know's opinion of me is like literally none of my business. Right. I, I don't. I don't give a fuck. Now, if I'm in a room full of people that know me, well, then I still don't care. Why? Well, because they already know me, right. which means they know I don't care. Which is why I. Which is why I take chances. And by the way, when people say, "Why do I think I'm successful?" It's because I know how to close, sell, persuade, and I'm not concerned with other people's opinion. Like I'm not, I don't, you know, Hey, you think this is a good cigar? I like that opinion. Mm-hmm. Hey, you think I can, you think I can, well, dude, why am I looking? Do I think I can? Right. See, I don't care. So if you're like, Oh dude, that'll never work. A lot of people told me light speed would never work. Mm-hmm. It's working pretty good. And not only that dude, high school dropout, I should be working in the fucking woods right now. And and people are always like, well, there's nothing wrong with working in the woods. You weren't listening. I didn't say there was anything wrong with it. Right. I said, I don't right. like hard work. <laughs> if you like hard work, good. You're good. right where you want to be. Right. If you like fake cigars, I got the connection for you. <laughs> it's. I mean, look, what is happiness? First off, you already said it earlier. You choose happiness. So I, I'm famous for saying happiness is a front end decision. You choose to be happy, and then you are happy. If you attach happiness to external factors, when I get the girl, when I get the job, when I get the house. If when I get these the job, cigars are real. You're going to be a miserable SOB your whole life. Because right? I could have got mad about those cigars. Most Motherfucker stole from me. Motherfucker ripped me off. How dare he? Right. I don't care, dude. <laughs> Whatever. That's Next. It. Next. Uh, that's exactly right. So, But if, if your happiness comes from a, a good hard day's work, then good. That that's not a negative thing. That's a phenomenal thing. You are wildly successful. Um, I grew up in a lumber mill town, right? I knew a lot of actual lumberjacks, right? People. That's what they did. My they, grandpa was a green. You, you were pulling green chain, or not green chain? Set and choker. Set and choker. Yeah, like that's a logger, dude. You yeah. Go, you, when they're logging, I, I'm from Oregon, small logging town okay. called Cottage Grove. So everybody worked at Warehouser, which is the mill, or they went up to the woods. We call them the woods, the mountains, to yeah. get the trees, yep. to get the fucking logs. So they would fall the, the log, and then someone has to freaking put a chain around it so they can raise yep. them up out of there. Well, that's called a ch- choker setter. Yep. And, dude, it's dangerous. Super dangerous. And, and fucking tough, dude. Like, if you come down with freaking no blisters, dude, you're not going back up the next day. <laughs> that's right. So like they won't. Thanks, buddy. Yep. You know they'd kick out freaking what they would call pussies. But then again, oh Brad, oh Brad, they kick Brad out. He's a pussy, dude. You can think I'm a pussy all you want, motherfucker. <laughs> right. Like okay, I'm a pussy. Thanks. You're right. If that's what it means, but I don't care. Right. Why? Why are me and you like that? How do we instill that into people listening? Man, I think that's the, the that's the billion dollar question, right? How do if you could bottle that, we you know that would be that would solve everybody's problem. There is something in people that holds them back mentally, and it's exactly what you identified. That once they come to that realization, it, it is a it's an epiphany, it's an enlightenment. It changes them forever. You're happier and you're more successful. And by the way, let's define success real quick. I don't just mean you have money in the bank. 
I mean, you're a great leader. You're a great father. You're a great husband. You're a great, right? You're you enjoy the experience. The, right. You know, you brought up Ed Milet and you brought up Andy Frazilla, right? Yes, they're very successful businessmen who have made a lot of money. Fantastic. But you know something else about Ed? He's got an amazing relationship with his wife. He's incredibly tight with his children. Good kids. His kids are amazing and they're successful, right? So this isn't just some random dude who figured out a way to make a buck. No, not at all. Success. He personifies the entire 360 view of success. He's all buff. He's fit. He's got his own jet. He golfs a 74. So he he is what I would call a complete. He was sitting right here one day. You know what Ed's thinking every time he looks at me. You're not, you don't work out enough? No, he's thinking fucking, damn, dude, if I look like him. <laughs> if I look like that motherfucker, I'd be, ev- it wouldn't even be fair for the rest of the world. That's right. <laughs> and, th- and every time I look at it, I'm thinking, damn, if I had his fucking dough. <laughs> See, everybody's got their own deficiencies right. and their own combinations. So what I consider success may not be what Ed does. And, and, I, and I know for a fact there's buddies of mine still that run around and pick up chicks. They think success is getting laid every Friday in a row. Never fails. Dude, I think that's dangerous. <laughs> I think that's foolish. Yep. I think you're an idiot, especially in a pandemic. Yep. But at the end of the day, dude, they think it's successful. And if they died right now thinking I was a champion, man, I could go out and freaking get the best anytime I wanted. Mm-hmm. Then in my mind, they died successful and so did I. Why? Because I, I was doing what I think that's is right. right, and they were doing what they think is right. And that's, at the end of the day, what I call a combination. Because it's not, there's no key to success. It's a combination, and everybody has their own. Right. So when you walk up to try to unlock a lock, dude, it's combination. Quit looking for a key, people. Mm-hmm. And then what's the combination? I don't know. You know it. You have it. Right. What is the combination? Ask yourself. Map it out. I got five M's. Mindset, that's number one map that's basically what is it you want Mm -hmm. okay motion that's what daily habits are you doing measurement how are you measuring what you're doing so you have optics Mm -hmm. and then money so the five m's right you got your mindset what do you believe you got your map what do you want you got your mind your motion what are your habits you got your freaking measurement how you doing right okay and then number five money where's it going because, dude, you can make a fuck ton of money and end up broke. Yep. You can make a fuck ton of money and end up unsuccessful by the definition we're given, which, mm-hmm. in my mind, is success. But those five M's, dude, everything's about those. And someone says, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing the, the daily habits I should do to get to the thing I want. Mm-hmm. Why? And they go, I don't know. That's your fucking mindset. Go back up to that box and read some books and keep learning and keep yes. asking yogis and freaking Tibetan monks or whoever the hell you need to until you get to something that makes you go, oh, I know now why I wasn't able to take those steps. Because let me tell you something, nine times out of ten, it's all mental. You don't you fear judgment. You, deep down, you don't know it, but you don't want to let down your dad. Deep down, you don't know it, but you want to prove your dad wrong. Mm-hmm. There's all these things that have happened to you, and you yes. never know them, but it, they're all stemmed and based, if you ask me, on fucking fear. Fear of judgment and fear. And the funny thing about fear is they say 82% of what you fear never happens. Yeah. 
So it's like most of what you think is going to happen isn't going to happen anyway. But the biggest thing to me where I'd like to just get people to make sense. How are you afraid to let go of what you have when you are clear that you don't want that to go for what you want? Because I've asked people, you know, let's pretend they're holding this bottle Mm -hmm. and they want those glasses. But I won't let this go to to reach for those. You know, so no. Why? Well, because what if I lose this? What if you lose the thing you don't want? <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, well, what if, what, if I, what if I lose this? Well, it, do you want that? No, I want that. <laughs> well, then let go of that and go for that. No, 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 because if I don't get that. Then I have nothing. Well, right. well then, then I have nothing. Right. Well, in my mind, you already have nothing if you don't have what you want. So I take people through this exercise called fear setting. Right, everyone's heard about goal setting and setting proper goals and milestones and all these things. And there's a lot of value to that. I'm not taking anything away from that. But to get over the fear that's in your brain, one of the things you have to do is some what I call fear setting. So identify the things that scare you the most, that you're the most afraid of. Okay. Let's say un, being unemployed. Let's take it one step further. Let's say being homeless. Right? You lost everything today. Brad, you're homeless. Yeah. Let's walk through the mental exercise of what that would actually look like. Okay, day one, I got no place to live. Where's the first place you go? Probably call a buddy, a family member, somebody in your network, in your space that you are trusted with and you're, you're, you're going to move in with, uh, with your buddy Steve. Fine, he's got, a, he's got a pool house you can move into. Okay, so now I've, I've, I've temporarily solved that problem. Okay, now I'm in Steve's pool house. And you, we work through this mental exercise of what it would look like if we complete, if, if the thing we're the most afraid of actually happened and what steps we would take to rectify that situation. Now we're not as afraid. Now we know what's going to happen and we're prepared for that. We're suddenly, we're not as fearful. So fear setting is critical in moving forward. Mm. I like that, except for when people say, face your fears, I don't agree with that one always. You know why? What if you fear, like, getting your dick chopped off? Well, get it chopped off. <laughs> See how you like it. It won't be that bad. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. It'll be bad. Yeah, like, <laughs> like jumping out of an airplane. People keep telling me, dude, if you fear doing it, do it. It's like, it's not that I fear doing it, but I, I do fear doing it. But it's not that. I don't want to jump out of a fucking airplane. Are you nuts? I could die. Well, dude, you just got to do it. No, I don't. <laughs> That's my point. Like, I don't care that you think I need to. I I don't need to. That's right. I could die. Never of jumping out of an airplane. Quite happy. I'm not bummed. <laughs> I didn't miss out. No, I didn't. Uh, 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 you know, I should have faced my fears. No, pound sand. You know, I fear getting my ass kicked by like badly by even one dude but i was gonna say like by by a group of dudes yep. so go out and fuck with a bunch of bikers no <laughs> that doesn't make any sense yeah i'm not doing no. i'm not facing certain fears but to your point most people are fearing falsities in other yes. words like you're not gonna go starving you're not gonna freaking end exactly up it. broke yes period and in that case i would say yeah face your fears because you'll realize that that shit ain't gonna you know what i always say what's the worst that can happen that's exactly right. So what is when once you go through the mental exercise of the worst thing that could happen, you suddenly suddenly and quickly realize 
Well, that's not that big of a deal. I, the fear was more in my mind than it was in reality. And now what we've done is we've changed that risk paradigm, right? Because everything that we do, everything that we do, crossing the street to go to the Starbucks, there's a risk reward. I might get hit by a car, but I really want that cappuccino, right? There's a risk reward there. So if we set that fear setting, we understand it, we've walked through what would the worst case scenario be suddenly it's not as scary we have a plan and now the risk reward paradigm becomes more in your favor you're more likely to go and take that risk and take that leap which leads to more success there you go folks listen if you want more of this go find his podcast which is there is no try and follow him on instagram at puro p-u-r-o rogers like buck rogers in the 21st century and then again, the wine shit, dude. That sounds cool. Y a h y n yahin. What is it? Yahin. You nailed it. Yahin and puro trader, sir. Thank you very much. This has been amazing, man. Appreciate you coming all the way out here to Vegas. Where are you in Vegas anyway? I'm here to see you. Get a little bit of work done. Just, just, like, just visit. Yeah. Why not? Well, you might as well before they shut her back down that, again. That's the idea, folks. Appreciate it. Share this. You might know some cigar aficionados and some wine lovers that need to hear this. You might want to share it in case there's an entrepreneur that's about to give up. Or you might just want to share it because, damn it, I'm asking you to. Until next time, (laughs) kids, keep it real. This is Dropping Bombs with The Real Bradley. Subscribe at droppingbombs.com.